a Bible in front of you, um, please open it. And uh, please look to James chapter 4. And we'll consider that section from verse 1 to verse 6. James 4, 1 to 6. Now, um, it might be a myth. It probably is a myth. It might be an urban legend. Um, but we've all kind of heard the scenario before. You know, a newsreader is on the TV and she's coming to the end of the news. And she gets to the last item on the news and she's kind of expecting that, you know, that and finally thing that usually happens on the news. She's expecting something sort of whimsical. And she's expecting something light, something about, I don't know, a, a water skiing squirrel or something along those lines. So she launches into the and finally uh, section, and she does so in a sort of jovial, light-hearted way, only to realize a bit too late that this last section in the news is actually a sad story. So she finds herself... You know, reading the news about a death or an accident with a big smile on her face. She expected something light. But that's not what she got. She got something very serious. Well, let's not make that mistake tonight, okay? Let's not be under the impression in any way that this next section that we come to in the book of James is in any way... Light, you know, it is not whimsical. You see, this matter here is is a solemn thing that we're looking at tonight. It's something that's somber and it's something that James takes really, really seriously indeed. Because tonight, the theme, the topic is Christian infighting. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at Christians warring with each other. But before we begin, I just want to say two very brief things before we start looking at this, okay? Two very quick things. One, this topic is relevant whether we realize it or not. Okay, this topic is relevant whether we in this room tonight see it as relevant or not. What do I mean? Well, we ask the same question week in, week out, don't we, about this letter. We ask the same question. The question is, who is James writing this letter to? Okay, we ask it every week. The same answer. James is writing to Christians, but it's not just Christians, is it? It is scattered Christians. He's writing to Christians over a sort of wide geographical area. So, given that, how can James generalize? If he's writing to a whole group of Christians over a massive geographical area, how can he generalize and how can he write to them all and talk about infighting? How can he write to them all and talk about quarreling? Well, I'll tell you why. Because this problem... This, this issue here, it affects all churches. All churches at one point or the other. So, 
just because perhaps in LCPC and in our congregation we're not sort of currently going through a massive crisis where where Christians are uh, fighting with each other and there's open warfare, just because that is not happening doesn't mean this isn't relevant. You see, because of our sin, this issue here, it is always there. It is always bubbling under the surface and it can erupt at any time. So it's relevant. Second thing, before we begin to this, just note... Note that James doesn't tell us what the issue was, does he? And he talks about quarrelling, but he doesn't tell us what these first century Christians were were fighting about, doesn't he? And I think, you know, we can make an educated guess at what they were bickering about, and we'll probably do that later on in the sermon, but... He doesn't explicitly mention what the problem was. Now, why doesn't he do that? I'll tell you why. James wants to take us beyond the superficial quarreling. In these verses here, James wants to take us to to the heart of the matter. He wants to show us what causes these superficial problems and fights to erupt in churches. And do you know what he does? He gives us three reasons for church warfare. That's what he does. He takes us to the heart of the matter and he gives us three reasons for Christian infighting. And guess what? That's what we'll look at tonight. Three reasons for church warfare. So folks, if you're ready and you're with me, let's look at these three reasons. And let's look at the first one. And it's this. Reason number one. Christians fight because of problems with passions. Christians fight because of problems with passions. Now, if you will, think back with me across your Christian experience, your Christian life, right? But more than that, I know it's probably not a pleasant memory at all, but think back to times in your Christian life where you have experienced or seen Christian squabbling in churches. Think back in that. I am pretty sure that most of us in this room have seen that at one point or another. And I'm also sure that if we're honest, you know, those times of quarreling, they weren't about, you know, a sort of righteous or or a holy or a virtuous disagreement about some fine point of doctrine. Usually, if we're honest, the squabbling in churches, it can kind of be pinpoint, pinpointed to one person or two people's pride or selfish, ungodly desires. And you see, that is exactly how James opens the chapter here, isn't it? If you've got your Bibles open, look what he says. See, he begins chapter 4 
in exactly the same way as he began the previous section, the section that we looked at last week. Because he begins it with a rhetorical question, doesn't he? Look at verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights? And then he answers that, doesn't he? Look what he says straight away afterwards. He gives another rhetorical question, but it answers the first one. He says, what causes fights? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? These desires. Now, what's he talking about? What does James mean when he talks about desires? Well, that word desires, it could be translated pleasures. It could be translated passions. It's the same word from which we get the English word Hedonism. You know that lust, that selfish pursuit of pleasure. Now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying that very often, bickering in church, backbiting in church, fighting in church, it can be traced back to tensions in our own hearts that these desires and pride produce. So, fighting is about desires and passions, but there's something more, okay? There's something a bit more sinister that he says. Now, I know that some of you in the congregation are fans of, not looking at anyone in particular, fans of the TV show The Apprentice. Well, I've only seen The Apprentice a few times. But what's kind of obvious is that in this show, if you can demonstrate to uh, Alan Sugar, if you can demonstrate to Lord Sugar, that you've got this kind of inbuilt, selfish uh, drive. You know, if you've got this sort of ruthless ambition then that's going to lead somewhere. If you can show Alan Sugar that you've got that, there's a good chance that that's going to lead to a job. Well, here, James says something different. He says that if we demonstrate that we have got this selfish streak in the church, then that leads to somewhere else altogether. And he says that in verse 2. Now, Verse 2 is perhaps not organized all that well in the NIV. So what I'll do is I will read out what the ESV has. Okay? The ESV says this. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet... And you cannot obtain, so you fight, so you war and quarrel. So do you see what James is saying there? He's saying that the selfish desires of our heart, they lead somewhere. And he says they lead to the opening of hostilities. And look at the, you know, look at the language that he's using here. 
It's the same every week, isn't it? It's quite incredible language that James uses. He equates squabbling and church, squabbling in church, to murder and to warfare. Murder and warfare. Is that how you think about it? Is that how you think about fighting in church and little arguments in church? Do you equate it with murder and with warfare? Does it sound a bit harsh to you tonight? Does that sound over-the-top language? I'll tell you this, that's how the rest of Scripture speaks about it too. You know, we sang earlier on from 1 John 3, okay? Well, later on, 1 John 3, it says the same thing. It says that people who are not loving their Christian brothers... It says that they are like Cain, the murderer. What does Jesus say? Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, he he says that those who are fighting in church, those who are holding something against their Christian brother, well, those people, they too are murderers. Scripture's very clear. It says that those who cause infighting in the church, those people are murderers. And then what about warfare? How, how is it possible that James can talk about squabbling in church and equate it to warfare? Well, I guess we can round it as all. Um, none of us are all that familiar with warfare, are we? But a few generations behind us, they were familiar with warfare, weren't they? You know, they were familiar with the idea of opening a telegram and reading about the loss of a family member or a friend. They were familiar with the horrors of war. They were familiar with the fact that war is a tragedy. And that's what James is saying here. He is saying that this infighting in the church, this squabbling, bickering, quarreling, is a tragedy that leads to a loss of spiritual life. Infighting. Infighting, it causes spiritual death. It causes the the butchering of people's spiritual enthusiasm. It absolutely devastates. Our witness for Jesus Christ. When we quarrel in church, we murder and we declare war. Now is that how you think of Christian infighting? Is it? Do we take it as seriously as James takes it here? And if so, do we see what he's saying about the cause of it? These fights often stem from our own frustrated, sinful desires. So friends, I would say to you tonight, examine your heart. Examine your heart for any signs of these sinful desires. Is there jealousy there? Jealousy in the church? Is there a thirsting for power in the church? Is there a thirsting for acknowledgement? 
But let's understand fully that Christians fight because there are problems with passions. Okay, so a couple of years ago, let's say maybe three years ago, my wife and I were trying to get money together. And I was trying to remember what this was for, but I couldn't. I think it was for a holiday. And we were, uh, you know, trying to sell a few things around the house. My wife was going on one of her regular sort of eBay binges where she just sells things from underneath me, you know. She uh, sells DVDs and uh, CDs that have been cherishing and, and, and that sort of thing. But it wasn't until much, much later on that I suddenly remembered that we had a box in the attic. And in that box... Um, there were several silver collector's coins that I'd been given ages ago, a long, long time ago. So here we were, selling everything we could get our hands on, and all the time there were these uh, silver coins that would have solved the problem. But the point is this. The point is that in our foolishness, we had ignored that which was most precious. We'd ignored that which was most precious. And that takes us to a second thing that James says about Christian infighting. Because he says that Christians fight because of problems with prayer. Christians fight because of problems with prayer. We see that at the end of verse 2 because he says this. He says, you you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you don't ask God. Now, now surely we're asking ourselves there, well, what is it that these people didn't have? You know, what did they not have? What had they not asked God for? Well, at the beginning, I said that James doesn't explicitly tell us what this problem in the first century Christian community was. We're not privy to it. But we could speculate just for a second, couldn't we? Because the problem could be wisdom. That could be what these people have not asked God for. Wisdom. Now, do you remember last week? Do you remember who we said that James was primarily writing to at this point. Do you remember that? He's writing to these, this group, faction in the church, who've kind of put themselves forward for church leadership. Now perhaps, perhaps James is rebuking those people here. And perhaps he's rebuking them from just blindly pursuing this desire for leadership without first committing that to God in prayer. Perhaps what's going on here is really similar to to James 1, verse 5, where James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Well, regardless of, of whether we're right with that sort of speculation, regardless of whether that's bang on or not, the point, the main point is still the same. What James does here is he links quarreling to a problem. 
And he links infighting and quarreling to the problem of a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer. But he does more than that, doesn't he? Because he also talks about correct priorities in prayer. Because he says, verse 3, When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So do you see what he's saying there? He's saying even when these people in the first, first century Christian community, even when they do bother themselves to get around praying, they're praying about the wrong stuff. They're praying about their own selfish desires. So friends, what we've got is a picture of foolishness. What we've got in these verses is real folly. Do you see what they're doing, these people? They are ignoring that which was most precious, aren't they? They are not praying. And even when they do, they pray with the wrong motives. Now, friends, we need to apply that this evening. And I want to do it by asking you, first of all, a tough question. Here's the question. Do you think we pray enough? Really? Do you think individually, as a congregation, we pray enough? Because if not, what we see here is that we are missing out on blessing after blessing after blessing that God has for us. He's got these blessings and he is desperate to to give them to us. But we're not asking for them. We're not praying. And when we do pray, I'm going to ask you another question. When we do pray, are we praying about the right sort of thing? What are your prayers like? When you pray, are you praying about yourself? Are you praying about your own wants? Are you praying about your own worries, about your own health issues? Are you praying about your, your own desires? Are you praying about your own needs? Or are your prayers different to that? Are your prayers humble? global in perspective and Christ-centered? Are we praying? And are we praying correctly? And then, remember the context here, friends. What's the context here? James is tying Christian warfare to a distinct lack of prayer. And in doing so, he shows us something absolutely critical for the life of this congregation. Because he shows us that the best way for you and I to avoid fighting with each other is to pray together. So friends, I'd say just now, tonight, do you you want to avoid this murderous warfare of Christian infighting? Do you want to avoid it? Well, if so, we'll see you on Thursday night in that room over there 
at half past six. And we will pray. We will pray together. Now, I might um, only have been here for, what is it, nine months or ten months, but I'm, I'm not sure that I haven't already used this illustration. So if I have and you've heard it before, you will just have to bear with me for a moment. It's France, and it is the 16th century. And uh, the church leaders right across France are trying to implement um, new seating arrangements in the church. And what they wanted to do was arrange the church according to the standards of the world. They wanted to arrange the church um, according to social standing. So what you would have is the rich people down down the front and then it would work the way right back to the, the poorest of the poor uh, sitting right at the back of the church. And unsurprisingly, this didn't go down well at all and it caused absolute chaos. And I was reading about uh, the instance in a city called Nîmes where such was the fury about this that the pastor's wife got beaten up um, she got punched in the face uh, because of this ridiculous, disastrous idea. So why mention it? Well, it's not just an example of Christian warfare, is it? It's also an example of the standards of the world infiltrating the life of the church. And in closing, that's what we see in the third point here because we've seen what we've seen remember the first one Christians fight because of problems with passions and then we saw that Christians fight because of problems with prayer but we see here a third reason Christians fight because of problems with pollution pollution now what happens is that James moves his thought on. He's been talking about prayer, but he moves on and he says in verse 4 that the values of the world, these are values that mustn't be held by the people of God. Now, why not? Well, he says that they cause dishonor to God and they will lead to disruption. They will lead to problems amongst believers and again as always it's the severity of James's language that grabs our attention isn't it because look what he look what he says to these people look what he calls his beloved Christians that he's writing to what does he call them adulterous people adulterous people now folks that's the the language of the Old Testament isn't it we hear that frequently in the Old Testament that's the language that the prophets used to ascribe to Israel when she was being unfaithful to God but do you see the point he's making he's saying you belong to God You are married to Jesus Christ. So regardless of the problems that come along in your church, regardless of 
what happens in your life. You can't go and pursue another. You can't go and pursue the values of the world. And what he does to bring this out is he uses this idea of friendship. You see that? He speaks about friendship here. He says, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Now, why bother with that? Why say that? Well, folks, in the ancient world that James is writing to, friendship was very, very different to what it is for us. You know, friendship in the first century was something really that was, you know, encompassed everything. If you were a friend with with a person, you, you, you shared everything. It meant much, much more than it means today. James is saying, let's leave. Let's leave the values of the world. Let's leave that for the people of the world. Really what he's doing is he's given us a choice. He's saying, you can have friendship with the world and it will lead to squabbling and infighting. Or you can have friendship with God and it will lead to the glory of Jesus Christ. And friends, I just want to end, okay, with this. So this is the last thing. It's just one word, really. And it's a word that James repeats in verse 6. He mentions a word and he repeats. Do you see it if your Bibles are open? It's in verse 6. It's the word grace. You see, folks, I think we're a miracle. I think that LCPC is a miracle. You know? How can people of massively different ages and massively different backgrounds and ethnicities and likes and dislikes, how can we be together as this community? How is that even possible? Well, it's a miracle. And it is a miracle of God's grace. Now, our prayer tonight should be very, very simple. Our prayer tonight should be that we resist any temptation to quarrel and to fight and to bicker with each other. And instead, our prayer should be that Our community and our congregation is a witness for Jesus Christ. And that through that witness, lots and lots of people are pointed to that one word. That lots of people are pointed to the saving grace of God. So that's it. Friends, let's not fight. Let's not quarrel. Let's not argue instead. Let's pray.